add my welcome to Angela's. My name is Michelle Manley. I am pastor of spiritual formation here at the river, and I am glad to be with you today. I get to bring a message uh, from God's word to us. Um, but before I do that, uh, one of the things that we love to do here at the river is to hear stories of our experience of God in the reality of our daily lives. Um, so we, we've always got ears out for who is experiencing God and in what, in what ways. And when we can, we invite those stories to be shared with the whole community. So this morning, I'm really grateful that we get to bring a story like that to you. Kat Phelps agreed to come and share with us about a way that God surprised her this Easter. So would you welcome with me, Kat? Hi, good morning, everyone. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kat, and I have been coming to the river for about nine months. I want to share a story about faith and following God's word this morning. My parents and I are estranged, but I do have a relationship with my grandparents, and more specifically, I'm close with my grandmother. Growing up, my grandparents were atheists, and they talk openly about their disbelief in God. I am a believer in God, and I do my best to follow his word. Lately, when I would be praying during service, my grandmother would often come to mind, and I felt a nudge by God to invite her to service, to church. At first, I ignored it. I was really nervous. What would she think of me? Would it make her uncomfortable if I invited her to church? And how much would it hurt after the loss of my parents for her to say no or to reject me or my faith? I brought it up to my small group, and they encouraged me to let God in, to take a leap of faith, and to invite her to a church service. They prayed with me, and they reminded me that when God speaks, it is our role to listen. I was too nervous to call, so I invited my grandma over a text message to Easter Sunday service, with a selling point being the pancake breakfast. <laughs> she responded with, I would love to come. She and my grandpa came to Easter service, which really surprised me that she brought my grandpa as well, and she commented about how much she enjoyed it. She talked about how it was so different from the church of her youth, and how welcoming and kind everyone was here at the river. I let her know she was invited to come anytime, and she told me she would love to come again. I learned that when I listen to the nudging of God, it is for a reason, and being vulnerable with my beliefs with others can lead to great things in faith. I also learned that God speaks to us in many different ways, like through my friends in, my, in faith in my small group. Their encouragement and prayers led me to open my heart to God's word. Thank you. Thank you, Kat. I was um, away out of town last weekend, so the last time that I was here uh, for worship, probably along with many of you, was on Easter Sunday. And um, my memories of that morning are of the particular sense of vibrancy that was in the room. As you um, might expect and hope, given that we are gathered that morning to remember and to celebrate and to think on the implications of this wild reality that Jesus rose from the dead. But this Easter in particular, I, I felt like hope had walked into the room with us. If you were here, I don't know if that would be a way that you would encapsulate some of what you experienced. But that is um, a an essence of the message and the reality of Easter, that hope is alive. And 
in a special uh, celebration that we plan for and we anticipate a day set apart, it, it maybe um, flows readily for us to be in contact with that kind of hope, that confidence in who God is and what God can do. But that is the hope that we are invited to every day of the year, of every year. It's the ongoing reality um, in this world, whether it looks like it or not. And wise people, wise leaders in the early days of the church knew that we would need some time to rehearse that reality so that it would really go deep in our minds and our hearts in the very fibers of our body. So if you follow what is sometimes called in the church the liturgical calendar, the church calendar, you know that Easter is not only a one-day occurrence. Easter is a season. The people who formatted the, the church calendar said there should be 50 days of Eastertide because we need at least that long every year to soak in this message of hope and its implications for us. So this year at the river, the particular implication that we're focusing on in this Eastertide is the um, life-giving power that the re resurrection releases to the community of God's people. We're asking the question again in this season, what is unique about a community that is fueled by the hope and the power of the resurrection? We started last week, and if you were here or you heard the message in one of its streaming or podcast forms, you know that Grace got us going. And Grace talked about the way that the life-giving power of the resurrection creates a context in the family of God that enables and empowers vulnerability. That in the family of God, there is space for us to be known, to be known deeply, to be known in our weaknesses. And in that being known, there's also the invitation for others to stand with us in solidarity, for us to be held and hoped for and led toward new life. That is good news. There is a new kind of community created among God's people because of the resurrection. It's, it's unique and it's distinct and it's um, like cold water for those of us who find our lives tired by hustling and hustling alone. But the life-giving power of the resurrection is not only uh, for those inside the family of God. The life-giving love and power of the resurrection flows so um, abundantly in the family of God that it spills over and it uh, extends itself toward all who come in contact with it. In the river, we talk regularly about four core values that we hold as a church. We refer to them as our four C's, which help us to remember what they are. Um, and we talk about them distinctly so that we can highlight each. But the reality is that in practice, they overlap. Um, they work in synergy with one another. And what we're talking about here this morning is the place of overlap between our value on community which I think we can see here. Yeah, here we go. Our value on community and our value on commission. The life-giving power of God released in the resurrection enables a new quality of life within the family of God. And that quality of life within the family of God is not just for the family. It overflows. It has expression in blessing, 
to the world around us. And the Bible is full of stories that demonstrate how true this is, including stories in the narrative uh, of, with the risen Jesus as he interacts with his disciples. And this morning, I want to bring our attention just to one of those pictures, the picture of Jesus interacting with the disciple Peter after he rose from the dead. Now, you may remember that things did not go especially well for Peter in the last days of Jesus' life. Peter made bold proclamations about no matter what happens with others, no matter who deserts Jesus, I will be true to the end. And then he finds himself denying any contact with Jesus, not once, but three times. So there's this incredibly um, moving picture of Jesus' intentional uh, reach of love toward Peter in the days when he walked in his resurrected body on the earth. He comes to Peter to restore him so that that disastrous night would not be the last of Peter's memories uh, with Jesus. And I want to encourage you to read the whole narrative in John's gospel in the uh, 21st chapter because it's full of so much detail that really brings a vivid picture of the kind of personal love that Jesus brings to the people who uh, follow him. But for our purposes this morning, I want to just highlight the narrative that goes back and forth between Jesus and uh, Peter. Jesus has just served the group of disciples breakfast, and then we're, we're let in on this conversation that Peter and Jesus shared. John 21, verse 15 says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? We're told that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him that third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. You know, when I think about this interaction, maybe if I imagine it as a movie sort of played out in my head, I feel like the um, field of view gets really small and intimate. We just see Peter and Jesus. We see them interacting with each other, sharing these words. And it really is an awesome display of the love of God for each one individually, in this case, Peter. Jesus is so deliberate to give Peter these three opportunities to declare his love for Jesus to match the three opportunities that he missed to declare his devotion the night of Jesus' arrest. Jesus is concerned with filling Peter up with his love, and that infilling is to restore Peter and is um, tied to these three words of charge and commission to Peter. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. 
I have always heard those when I've read them as mostly about Peter, uh, for Peter. They're the symbol of Peter's restoration, that he's back on the team, that he has his place, that he has a role to play. Um, and I think that is true. That is uh, what Jesus is expressing to Peter. But in my imagined movie of the scene, I also realized that at this point, at the end of the interaction, the camera might pan back and we're reminded that this interaction actually happened in the circle of Jesus' disciples. And so in the midst of making a, a point of, uh, G of Peter's restoration and him being back on the team, I think Jesus is also expressing something he wants all of his followers to know about the movement, the flow of God's life-giving love. It comes to us and it moves through us. To others. It comes to Peter, it restores Peter, and Peter is invited then to let it flow through him to others. And the same would be true for the entire family of God, that the entire family of God would receive this abundance of God's love and let it flow. And we see that happening in the description of the life of the early church, which happens not long after this interaction that Peter and Jesus shared. You may be familiar with the um, pretty grand description of the life that was shared among the family of God in the early days. It's recorded at the end of the book of Acts in the New Testament, the second chapter. It says this, they, the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a vision of what's possible in the life-giving community of God. There is both this sense of um, enormous fullness for those inside and a clear picture of that fullness overflowing to bless those around. The early followers of Jesus, they're learning together. They're worshiping together. They're experiencing miracles, including this radical sharing of property and possessions. And there's just like joy everywhere. It's fun to eat together. I like that part of the story. Um, and that fullness is spilling over. And we're told that the church enjoyed favor, that they were liked, they were respected among all the people. And continuously, people were wanting to join in, to join in the community that they shared and in the way of Jesus that they followed. This is the movement of God's life-giving love to the family of God and through the family of God to others. But I wonder, I wonder if everyone in the early church enjoyed this flow equally. I wonder if anyone in the early church ever found themselves a little irritated 
by the increasing numbers of people who were always coming around. I mean, it clearly would have been exciting to be a part of something so dynamic. And God was obviously doing something magnificent in laying a foundational vision for what was possible among the people of God. But these people were real people. That's one of the things you see again and again in the story of the Bible. The, the Bible stories contain real human beings, just like you and me. And I think we know enough to know that not everyone responds to hospitality in the same way. And hospitality would just be one way of encapsulating, uh, talking about the overflowing love of the family of God. And when I'm using hospitality here, I'm not necessarily talking um, about what maybe comes first to mind, the idea of hosting people in your home for dinner, you know, the work of tidying up and making a special meal. That is hospitality. But here, I'm talking more about a posture of life, a posture of hospitality that is lived as awareness and welcome for anyone who, in whatever way, feels outside the circle. Awareness and welcome for anyone who might be or feel like an outsider in some way. So hospitality always involves making room making room in conversation, making room at the table, making room in my comfortable circle of friendship, making room in my heart. And depending on how much room you feel like there is, that can be easier or harder for you to participate in. You know, I think hospitality flows pretty freely when you experience God and life with a posture of abundance. And I think that's what was happening in the early church. The presence of God, the power of God, the love of God was so abundant that it probably was pretty easy to share it, to feel like there's enough here and overflowing for everyone around. But that isn't all of our reflexive experience. That may not be the dominant uh, picture that you carry of God and of life with God in this world. Some of us might recognize in ourselves um, actually something that more resembles a posture of scarcity, of feeling like I have precious little, and my honest concern is that if I gave from this bit, I would just have less. You know, if we... Um, consider just a simple two-dimensional um, axis where we've got considerable scarcity here on one side running all the way to considerable abundance on the other. My guess is in a room of this size, we would plot ourselves all over uh, this axis. Most of us would probably lean most heavily in one direction or another, but, but depending on what arena of life we're talking about, we might even plot ourselves in different places. So this morning, I want to invite you to the reflection um, specifically around the matter of hospitality toward the outsider. What kind of posture, what kind of inner disposition do you find in yourself when you consider hospitality? Do you find it relatively easy to make room in your life and in your circle of community? to involve others? 
or does it feel to you like there's more of an urge in you to conserve? Do you feel concern about losing what you have if you share it? You know, one of the great gifts that I received in the context of my family growing up was that it was a setting of hospitality. My parents lived um, with a sense of a, a permeable uh, circle around our nuclear family. And so it was often the case that there were others in our home besides the four of us who lived there full time. Um, and it was a variety of others. Uh, my dad had business colleagues come from out of town, and often instead of them staying in hotel, they would stay with us in our house. Um, we had that situation that maybe you've had in your life where friends of ours who knew people who moved to our area without contacts would connect us to them so that we could host them and welcoming them, maybe include them in special occasions like holidays. The church that we were part of hired uh, seminary interns. Those are just like pastors in training to help with the youth group in the summer. And if those folks weren't local, sometimes they lived in our house. So the, um, the result of that is that my house was a very uh, dynamic place. It was a place filled with a lot of life. And sometimes it felt a little crowded to me, especially when I was a teenager. Um, I didn't always want that extra exposure of another unknown person at the table, nor did I want the work of extending myself to someone new all the time. My parents uh, lived out of an experience of God's abundance, feeling like there was a lot and it could overflow, but that didn't necessarily translate immediately uh, to my sharing in that value. I, I do want to say that there are important questions to ask in the realm of hospitality because scarcity is not only a matter of how we think. Scarcity can also be a matter of, of fact, right? Um, especially when we think about material things, there's a, a fact of whether or not there's enough food in the house to keep inviting others to join the table. Relational scarcity is also a, a factual matter. People need a certain amount of attention to thrive and grow in life. But in my household, um, that wasn't a concern. There really was enough warmth and abundance to go around. Models of hospitality that are based in the abundance of God are a gift to us. And so I want to um, say to you from my own experience that if you identify yourself more toward uh, a posture of scarcity when it comes to hospitality, maybe look around. See who you know who lives a bit on the other side of the spectrum. Who do you know that when you think through this lens, you realize they live from a place of abundance? Spend time with them. Notice their life and let it speak to you. Maybe even ask them questions about how it was that they established the kind of patterns that they have in hospitality. Ultimately, though, I think we will only be truly confident in the enoughness of God for us in hospitality by testing God on it. We have to step out and see, is it true that there is enough here? 
is it true that the abundance of God will meet me as I give myself to others? Because I don't want to um, fail to say that hospitality often does feel like work. Even in the context of abundance, abundance means we will be provided for. It doesn't mean that we won't have to exert ourselves. So I want to um, say honestly that it's a great joy for us as a church to participate this morning in Viva Calle. And thank you again uh, for finding your way here in the midst of all the street closures. Um, if you're not familiar with Viva Calle, it's a, um, I think, three or four times a year uh, street party that the city of San Jose hosts. Each time they route a different um, part of the community and block it off, making it um, inaccessible to cars so that pedestrians and bikers and rollerbladers can make their way through that town, that part of town, and get to know people and places um, that they may not have otherwise engaged. I think it's a great thing that our city does. And it was about a month ago that we realized, holy cow, Viva Calle is coming to us this year. It's right here at our intersection um, at Parkmore and, and Lincoln. And so it was a kind of an obvious, like a no-brainer. My goodness, we want to be a community of people who overflow and bless the, the people around us. Like, we've got to participate. We've got to host our, our spot and um, be one of the way stations along the way where people can stop and play games and have conversation and get snacks. And yet, I mentioned we heard about this a month ago. Um, which if you're inside the life of the church, you maybe can do the math. That was two weeks before Holy Week, which is kind of a big deal around here. Um, we had a lot on our plate. And these last two weeks have been the bulk of uh, San Jose School District's spring breaks. So a number of our staff who have kids in the school district have been off on different days, some for holidays, some for just managing kids. It's not really an ideal time for us to be hosting a party for the city of San Jose. But I'm so grateful for the gift of hospitality in community. Because when we sat as a team and talked about, can we do it, can we not, what could we do, how do we size this, there were people in the circle who were living out of an experience and an expectation of the abundance of God. Like, we can do this. We can do this. Together, we can do this. So we, <laughs> yes, so we host our spot this morning, and we trust that in that spot, the community will be blessed, and that there will be stories for us of God's abundance. So if you have been out there, or you know folks who are out there as part of our hospitality team, I encourage you to ask, how did you experience the abundance of God in that space? So the question I want to leave with all of us this morning is pretty straightforward. Because of the life-giving power of the resurrection, how can my community be a community of overflowing love? What is the invitation to hospitality for me and my community right now? Now, I am aware and sensitive to the fact that not everyone in this room probably feels like they have a clear expression of a community of God around your life. And that's one of the things that we are 
um, praying for and working toward in the midst of this Eastertide series, hoping that everyone would take steps toward an experience of community in this place. So for some of us, um, the encouragement today might be to open our eyes to the expressions of hospitality that are coming toward us, that we would take the risk to receive those and step toward community. But for those of us who have some formal or informal circle of community, who are in small groups, who have a relatively well-defined circle of friends, who live in families or households, what is the current opportunity to let the love of God overflow and bless those around you? You know, getting super concrete and very immediate here within the setting of the church, I want to um, say that hospitality could be as simple as developing a clear understanding among your small group or your circle of friends here that your first intention in this place is to be a hospitable presence to those who are newer to the community. I'm guessing most of us have had an experience somewhere along our lives where we have been the single individual standing in a room of what feels like predetermined relationship circles. And thankfully, we don't often get that feedback of our community at the river that it's hard to break into. But it is the way of inertia that when we are not conscious of the invitation to be a community of overflowing love, we settle ourselves into the places where we've already found our, our belonging and we lose sight of those around us who, who aren't yet in that space. There are innumerable other ways to be hospitable, to be aware of and welcoming for anyone who may feel on the outside of the circle. And I'd say the fundamental piece is to begin by establishing the habit of thinking about who you could include, who you could include in the various forms of your circles of relationship. Maybe you invite someone to your small group. Maybe you host a gathering for work friends and church friends together. Maybe you, um, with the weather warming and the days getting longer, invite some neighbors over for dessert in your backyard. When you invite uh, and kind of meditate, muse, on the overflowing love of God through the people of God, my expectation is that creative ideas will um, surprise you. So open yourself to them. In a moment, I'm going to give us some time, like we often do in our worship setting, to turn in just groups of two or three to talk about ideas that may be sparked for you this morning of how you and your community could be extensions of the love of God um, beyond your your defined circle. But before I do that, I want to take us back um, to the source from which all hospitality in the kingdom of God flows. And that is a, a firm and a continuous experience of the abundance of God toward us. Because my expectation, actually, as I was working on this message this morning, was that some of us, and it might even be a bigger number than some, would listen um, graciously to a call to hospitality, all the while knowing, maybe semi-consciously inside, that your response is, yeah, thanks, 
but not really. It's a significant invitation. And you may not feel like you have the time or the energy or the willingness at this moment to open up your circle of relationship to others. And so I want to welcome that honesty. I want to let you know I'm not offended if that's what you're sitting there uh, <coughs> thinking a bit this morning. Because when we're honest about where we are, we're open for God to meet us in that place. I've prepared uh, for us a half sheet that you'll receive when you um, exit this morning of possible responses to this morning's message. On one side, you'll find just the beginnings of a brainstorm of ways in which you might express hospitality from your community. And I hope you'll take that and, and run much farther with it than where I started. But on the other side, I have included um, some prompts for meditation on a couple of scriptures that I think could be central for us in growing our experience of God as a God of abundance for us and in our world. And so if the place you're starting from is honestly a place of scarcity where you don't know if it's good to share, I want to invite you to those meditations. And I want to invite you to return to them if they have um, fruit for you again and again and notice how it is that your sense of God and yourself and the world shifts. And I want to invite you, if you feel um, so bold, to share with me what you experience as you engage those meditations. Um, you can email me. You can catch me on a Sunday morning. We can get coffee. I love to hear how it is that God wants to um, expand our picture of who God is. It will overflow in hospitality, but honestly, that's not my what I'm primarily in it for. I want us to experience more and more of the fullness of God for all the good that it will do in our lives and through our lives. So um, an open invitation to share what you experience. For now, though, I do want to leave you with the questions that I said were coming. I've put together three questions for conversation. I'm going to invite you to turn for a few minutes in groups of two or three to share around these. The point is not necessarily to get through all of them. Maybe one of them has kind of the greatest resonance for you this morning. And I do want to say, um, hopefully those of you who are used to uh, our community know this, there's always freedom at the river to pass on something that doesn't feel uh, like it matches you. So if you don't feel able to join into conversation with other people this morning, you can pass. And, of course, I want to give you a prompt to, to try. Um, even if you feel like you don't want to share, you could listen in. In this season where we're asking God to um, show us the implications of the resurrection in community, I want to encourage you to lean into um, our community here together. So let me pray for us and then set you into conversation. God, my prayer is that you would show us yourself. that you would show us yourself in greater measure, that you would make yourself big before our eyes, and that that picture of you would change us. Specifically this morning, God, I ask that you would show us more of your abundance, your generosity, your unending resources, and that it would change our posture 
toward those around us. So lead us, Lord, in all the ways that we need you to lead us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, enjoy your conversation, and then the worship team will come and lead us.